0: This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Eric Repair of Le Bernardin in Manhattan. What will Eric's restaurant look like on the other side of COVID-19? Who is he talking to every day in Paris? Why is Eric's relationship with City Harvest more important now than ever? And what can Eric share with all of us about taking a moment to quiet the mind? We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Eric. Eric, hi. Hello. Good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you, too. It's good to see you as well. We have the uh, the Zoom video set up so we can see faces. Eric, I want to talk to you first about your work with, with City Harvest, which I know is an incredibly important organization to you for whom you've raised millions of dollars over the years. Um, A couple weeks ago, you were already on the street up in the Bronx passing out food. Can you tell me about taking action and and getting out there into the community quickly and making sure there's enough food to go around? Sure. So to
1: to begin with, uh, New York City has a population of 1.2 million people usually living under poverty level in normal conditions. And one child out of four, doesn't know when he's gonna get his meal when the schools are closed. And City Harvest is an organization dedicated to rescue food and deliver it to food pantries in the city. And they have mobile markets in the Bronx and all, you know, actually all the boroughs in New York City. So what I did a few weeks ago, I went with my wife, Sandra, to the, the South Bronx, to the City Harvest market, and we distribute it that day to people, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. So we add, for instance, sweet potatoes, cabbage, carrots, pears, and a few other vegetables.
0: Tell me why it was important to you to actually be out there. I mean, you could have just written a check.
1: Well, it's important to write a check too. Uh, but it's important also to have volunteers Uh, We are not afraid to go uh, on the front line and Mm -hmm. help City Harvest in its mission to give food to people in need. That day, we distributed uh, something like 16,000 pounds of food to more than 400 uh, families. And City Harvest is uh, very well organized in terms of safety for their volunteers and for the people who are receiving the the food. We had masks and gloves and we were practicing already social distancing um, at the very beginning of um, of that movement uh, that is helping to uh, block the contamination.
0: This was on, on March 14th, and, and you got out there a couple of days in a row. Yes, we
1: did that, uh, first of all, because it's the right thing to do, and also to be able to inspire people, inform people, That CTR Vest is on the ground and very active. And uh, that's why we did it.
0: So you also run one of the finest restaurants in in New York and the world. I mean, the reputation of of La Bernadette is it's the best. It's just it's it's just it's just the best. You've had to let 170 of your people go. I mean, it's an unimaginable thing for a a restaurant owner to have to do. Can you tell me about that moment and what you were going through and and what you could see on the faces of your staff?
1: Sure. It was a very painful moment, of course. And uh, I never thought that in my life I would have to um, gather the the team and uh, tell them that we were closing Le Bernardin. In the beginning, I thought, actually, we would close Le Bernardin for two weeks and we'll reopen uh, beginning of April. And therefore, that meeting with 170 uh, members of our staff was in one of the private events room and um, they were around me and I told them that, unfortunately, we were closing, that I will see them uh, in a few weeks from from... That moment, unfortunately, as you know, uh, a couple of days later, the city and and the state decided to close all restaurants, bars, cafes, nightclubs, and and so on. And and therefore, we are closed until um, until uh, new decisions from the people who protect us. And uh, uh, it may take weeks. It, I, I don't I don't know, but. We had to let go uh, to unemployment, all our staff, and this is heartbreaking. We have people who are at Le Bernardin since its opening in 1986. Um, We have a very dedicated, loyal, uh, knowledgeable staff that uh, unfortunately is unemployed as we speak.
0: Uh, You've raised $226,000 for them that I know of at least.
1: Yes, well, we created a fund and uh, uh, we went through uh, GoFundMe and asked our clients and supporters to give some money if they wish to support our team. And that money will, uh, as we speak, is being distributed and we will send checks uh, this week, uh, or today or next week to, to, the, to the team. And that was uh, an incredible uh, act of generosity from our clientele.
0: Now that you don't know exactly when you'll be opening again, what kind of anxiety and worry does that create for you?
1: Well, it's a huge concern about when we are going to reopen. And the concern is how many people are we going to be able to feed uh, in in the dining room? Uh, are, are, Are We are... Are we going to have um, limitations by the government saying you cannot have more than 20 people, 30, 50 people? Obviously, we're going to have to space the tables. I I don't know yet if we will be able to have big tables or only tables of two. Or I'm, I'm not sure about all those um, informations yet. But anticipating those um, challenges, I think we're going to have to, unfortunately, Reopen Le Bernardin with a much smaller team than what we had when we closed. We were full speed and we were packed every day, uh, lunch and dinner. We are going to start again from very, very small amount of clients and and grow from there. So it's it's tough for me because I'm going to have to um, keep a lot of people still unemployed and uh, have a very small team surrounding me uh, to open the restaurant again.
0: Taking seats out of a a fine dining restaurant where the margins are already fairly thin is not an enviable proposition. How do you think fine dining is going to have to adjust and and change as you come out of this into a recession or a depression?
1: Well, it's it's something that I'm asking myself on a daily basis. Obviously fine dining is going to have to reinvent itself and I'm thinking about um, what could be the next Le Bernardin uh, when we reopen for maybe a few weeks, few months uh, until the restaurant is busy again but it could be a very limited menu compared to what we used to have before and um, a much more Casual service, because we can't have that many waiters um, around the tables. The menu will be probably dictated by what we can uh, gather for the restaurant. And, and it could be something like a choice of three to five cold appetizers, hot, five ap- hot appetizers, five main course, five desserts, something like that. And maybe run one testing menu that's using some of the recipes from um, those, those offers and, uh, and start like that and, and see um, and grow back to a, a bigger variety of items on our menu. The, 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 the service will be much more friendly because I think we will have uh, much more time to have a very close relationship actually with the clients. And, um, and I think the supporters that will come back to Le Bernardin will be people that know us and like us, and it will be probably like a very emotional reunion.
0: I do think, you know, for a fine dining restaurant, one of the very special things about Le Bernardin is you do have a lot of regulars. You do have people who have been coming in there for 10, 15, 20 years on, on a regular basis. And it does feel more familiar than a lot of fine dining rooms do.
1: Yes, and we are receiving a lot of support uh, from those clients that actually sent money to to uh, help our staff and send us a lot of emails of support and uh, call us and send us messages and, and so on. So we, we are keeping a good relationship uh, with that clientele and supporters and friends and that are extremely loyal to Le Bernardin and... They are telling us that as soon as we open, they will come back. And of course, it's reassuring. And um, we, are, we are blessed to, to have those, those people supporting us.
0: Do you want to hear my I- idea to help La Bernadine's revenue stream? Sure. Salmon Riette subscription program.
1: Ah, that would be a
0: good one. Where you sell direct to consumer and people can just subscribe to get one jar of Salmon Riette once a week or once a month. And you can send it all over the country because it keeps and I guarantee you people will pay.
1: I would love to do that. It's a great (laughs) idea. I'll
0: I'll give you the credit. (laughs) I don't need need the credit. I just need your restaurant to, to... prosper that, that that's all i care about um then has a series of secret weapons in terms of things that make it really special and i want to talk about a couple of them uh one is is your suppliers who you've painstakingly picked over a number of years how are you communicating with them and how are they getting on not knowing where to send and sell their very specialized products right now
1: sure we have a great relationship from uh, from our with our purveyors, and um they have been very helpful. So what we did when we closed the restaurant we um we have a lot of small purveyors that are supporting le Bernardin with their products like uh oyster farms, for instance and what we did we immediately made sure that we could support them and and pay them before we closed and then some big purveyors that uh, sell to us produce and uh, seafood but on a larger scale um, are supportive as well i had discussions with them and they said you know do not worry for now, we are fine. When you reopen, um, we will talk about money for now. Just stay safe and healthy and uh, we wish you well and we, can talk, we, we can't wait for Le Bernardin to reopen. And we have a relationship with those purveyors for 30 years and more. So it's, it's a friendship that is um, actually right now uh, in action.
0: Have you seen any of them flip to a direct-to-consumer model and, and trying to get their foods into the hands of, of people directly?
1: Yes, we have seen uh, some of our purveyors going um, into uh, home deliveries, for instance, Baldor. Uh, Baldor has a lot of trucks in New York City and you can see them uh, in, in many other cities on the on East Coast. But they, they used to deliver solely to hotels and restaurants. Now they are delivering uh, directly to people at home. But then we have purveyors like D'Artagnan uh, for, uh, I mean, they specialize in, in, in ducks and poultries and so on. They have done that uh, for a long time. And Brown Trading, who sell fish to us for a long time as well, uh, send sends seafood to people in their house um, as well.
0: That's great. I just got some D'Artagnan uh, chicken yesterday, actually. it's It feels good to support. Um, one of the other not so secret weapons is there's a you know there's another person at Le Bernardin to whom you refer as the boss of the restaurant, and I'm, I'm talking about Maggie Lecoeur, your, your your partner. Where is she? How is she? What is she telling you? And what strength are you gaining from the wisdom that comes out of her mouth?
1: Sure, so Maggie Lecoeur is uh, um, the soul and spirit of Le Bernardin. She created Le Bernardin in 1972 in Paris and opened in 1986 in New York. As we speak, she is uh, in Paris in her apartment. And uh, in France, they have some very strict rules. You cannot even get out of your apartment and and go walk as you wish. You have to, um, you have a lot of limitations for that. However, she's fine, she's healthy, she has food and uh, she's very patient. I talk to her on a daily basis at the end of the day, and uh, what I, I mean, I'm I'm comforted by the fact that she's fine, and she seems to be very calm considering how bad is the situation, not only in America or France, but worldwide.
0: I think Maggie is. I mean I'm sure she wouldn't like me talking about her age but she's in her, her mid to late 70s by now and and I think it feels a little bit uh like having a much more stylish Winston Churchill type figure in your corner who can really provide perspective and motivation.
1: Sure, she she definitely has uh, wisdom. She's also uh, extremely uh smart for sure and uh, and mindful and uh I listen to her advice, and she's supporting me as much as I'm supporting her, and that's the great dynamic that we always had in between Maggie and I.
0: Does she say anything that really resonates with you that you can share?
1: She says a lot of things every day. <laughs> um, she says she says to me to be cautious and be conservative in my vision for when everything's going to start again, and I think she's right about that. It's not like Overnight, suddenly, New York City is going to be busy, people are going to travel, people are going to uh, party and uh, do events and so on. I think it's going it's to take some, some time and we uh, have to be uh, patient and very conservative in our approach.
0: I think one nice thing you've done is if you've spread a lot of joy by cooking at home um, through social media. And I know a lot of people have enjoyed a lot of your recipes. I thought the most brilliant one was the, the dump the full bottle of wine in the pot of chicken recipe, because then you get the full bottle of wine in your dinner along with the full bottle of wine with your dinner. Yes, exactly.
1: Uh, it's a double shot. I, uh, yeah, I decided to go on Instagram and Twitter and post every day some food that is not obviously fine-dining food it's food that i'm cooking with the ingredients that i have in my house and it's home food Uh, it's comfort food so therefore it's no fancy presentation it's no fancy cuts with the knives and so on i'm cooking like uh, like my mother was cooking for me or my grandmother and i'm posting those recipes to inspire people and to help people who are not necessarily great cooks. Although my grandma and mom were were amazing cooks, but uh, those recipes are not necessarily expensive, not complicated. And I think I find a format that is pretty straightforward and I get some good feedbacks. And I'm happy about uh, having the possibility to help so many people.
0: Who's motivating you and who's helping keep you level and, and, and stable and sane during these times?
1: Well, staying stable in SANE is a big challenge, as as you, you know, and as everybody knows today, we um, we are facing something that we never thought we would face in our lifetime. Of course, the family, my wife and my son are with me, and, and they are great help. Uh, I have also um, my friends, and I'm in contact with them, and the team of Le Bernardin, and all of that, it's very social in a sense, and it's very important to keep social ties with your friends and family and, and people that you know. Uh, and I also, every morning when I wake up, I have my coffee and then I go in, in a small room, that is my meditation room, and I read a little bit, I meditate every morning, I um, study a little bit, and then after that, I start my day.
0: So coffee first.
1: Coffee first because it's decaf coffee. So therefore, I am not too excited and it doesn't interfere with my meditation.
0: I think uh, a lot of people are are engaged in meditation practices now and, and some for the first time ever and some in an increasing amount. I know it's something you've been doing for a very long time. Are there any helpful tips you can extend to, to the, new, the new meditators or the ones who are trying to find a more consistent practice?
1: So meditation is a, is a word that has many meanings, different meanings for many people. And uh, I think what is important to, to do is to research well and understand what meditation is about and find... Uh, a model of meditation that is, is for yourself. It's two basically two types of meditation. Uh, it's, I mean, it's um, Indian names, but I don't think they are really helpful for the beginners. Um, so I think we can call it single point meditation, which is about focusing on one single point somewhere with your mind and basically... Creating a lot of awareness and concentration, and is basically domesticating your mind and avoiding uh, being bombarded by thoughts constantly. So you you sit in a real, in a pretty comfortable position, and you just focus as much as you can to avoid being disturbed by your own emotions. And then is another type of meditation that is basically uh, analytical meditation or guided meditation where you can either way um, tackle a subject that is important to you or you can um, create a scenario where you envision yourself being in a for I'll give you an example but it's not necessarily what, what I will do but you can find yourself protected in in, uh, in a beautiful golden light surrounding you and you are at peace and so on so those meditations exist they are uh, most of them are secular and not not religious which is important to know and uh, they are i think helpful at at this time
0: i like the idea of being protected by a beautiful golden light it's not a bad idea
1: it um, um it probably has its own merits and some people are just in that state of mind relaxing and feeling protected and it has, I am sure, some positive effects on the body and mind. Uh, I think trying to domesticate your mind is the most important uh, meditation that you can do, is the most difficult as well. And there's many different tricks and practices that help you to, uh, to do that and in this difficult time, uh, it's very helpful, although I have to admit that even uh, after so many years of practice, I I have a lot of difficult time during the day, a lot of moments that are very stressful, and um, it's not so easy to, to deal with it, even with a trained mind.
0: Yeah, these are extraordinary times. It's kind of like yes. all, all the rules are, are out the window. We've never dealt with anything quite like this. No, we have
1: never seen. I never thought I would ever see that in my lifetime. Neither my my children or grandchildren. I thought we were immune from such uh, catastrophic uh, epidemic.
0: Yeah, this, it seems like a story from another another era, and yet here here we are, uh, part of part of history. Well. Le Bernardin has come through 9-11. It's come through the the last recession in 2007, 2008. And um, I'm sure it'll come through this one too. Who knows in, in what form, but I'm, I'm excited to see it. Eric, the show is called Takeaway Only. Um, I'm wondering what your big takeaway has been living through this as as a chef, as a leader, as a human.
1: Well, well what I take away from... This experience is that it's forcing myself, but, but people around me to look at life in a different way and kind of reflect of what is essential and what is uh, not essential at all. And uh, I think I'm doing that on a daily basis, but everybody that I know is is going through the same exercise how many pairs of sneakers do you need Um, right i mean and 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 we can go on and on and on and what is important uh in in with with the interaction uh with people i think this challenging time is giving us the opportunity to practice uh compassion generosity to be helpful more than ever, and hopefully we will uh, we will be in a better mindset after this this terrible thing that is affecting so many people, um, obviously some people dying as we speak, and it's it's terrible, and some people are suffering tremendously, and it's terrible. For the ones who will survive this terrible time, it's I think an experience that is negative now, but we'll have some definitely some positive uh, about the experience that we will have lived.
0: Eric, I really appreciate your your perspective and and guidance and and your time. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: That was Eric Repair. You can follow him on Instagram at Eric Repair. And you can learn more about City Harvest and donate at www.cityharvest.org. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Free Time Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at b Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardieu, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.